I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Saturday, January 27th, 2018. Today, we're going to talk about Alberta political party fundraising, and I will try to explain why the 2017 fourth quarter financial report is useless. Then we'll get into the end of the fake trade war with Saskatchewan and say goodbye to Brad Wall. Don't be so happy about that, Dave. There's no escaping it. We're going to talk about the Alberta party leadership race. They had their first leaders debate last week. And we'll briefly chat about what the hell is happening in Ontario provincial politics uh, with the sudden and necessary resignation of Patrick Brown from the leadership of the PC party. And we'll get to some listener questions at the end of the show. But before all that, let's kick things off with some nomination news and political gossip. The main thing I want to talk about today is on the United Conservative Party side. Uh, I think we've talked about it before, but the AGM is coming up in Red Deer in early May. And of course, all AGMs are exciting political events, but this one is the founding AGM for the party. And so one of the things that they're doing is the very first board of directors is being elected. Now, a board of directors is kind of an inside baseball thing, and maybe people don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But in this case, it's actually a very important function because they're determining the policies and the constitution and the players of of, of a new party. So... Um, We're expecting that the rules will be finalized next week. But the structure that I'm hearing is that essentially there's going to be 17 spots. So this is for the provincial board, uh, 10 of which are province-wide. So the president, VPs of communications, the treasurer, policy and governance, which is one person, fundraising, the secretary, memberships. And then there's two provincial directors for each of the following regions, Northern Alberta, Edmonton region, Central Alberta, Calgary region, Southern Alberta. So this is a very interesting time. The party is currently governed by an interim joint board, which was part of the negotiation between Brian Jean and Jason Kenney. Those people were appointed by the leaders. So the membership really hasn't had a say yet. Um, Some of the names are starting to come forward on some of these key positions. And so... Uh, the Sorry, uh, members at AGM are going to be able to vote directly for this provincial board. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the makeup of that board is and what sort of uh, tone some of these people take to defining the party. Because really, this is the first time that the party is going to have some actual policy. So just, just a question about the AG, the UCP AGM. Uh, is this open to all UCP members or is this like a delegate like a certain amount of num- number of delegates per riding? Or? No, it's good question. So for this one, at least, it's open to all members. So there is no delegate and there's no limit to the amount of people who can vote. So if you are a member, uh, as long as you're registered and you pay your conference fee, you can vote. And you show up in Red Deer on May 10th? 2 to 4th, I think. 2 to 4th. Okay, 2 to 4th. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. No, in addition to that, um, nominations are underway. And I think Dave's going to have some more on that. Yeah, candidates are stepping up to run for party nominations for the ex- what is expected to be 2019, spring 2019, uh, Alberta Provincial General Election. And uh, we have a few, uh, well, a few updates from the last podcast. Um, in the Edmonton West Henday riding, which is kind of the old Edmonton or the current Edmonton Meadowlark riding, they're, re- they're redrawing it. 
Um, I think it takes part of, if I remember correctly, it takes part of Edmonton Calder, uh, but it's mostly the old Edmonton Meadow or the current Edmonton Meadow Clark riding. Uh, uh, incumbent NDP MLA John Carson has announced that he's going to run for the NDP nomination for re-election in, in Edmonton West Hande. Uh As well, we have a number of uh, a number of races that are, are shaping up to be well races uh, for UCP nominations across the province. We have a couple candidates in in a couple ridings who've declared in Calgary Beddington, which is a new uh, it will be a new district created uh, when the election is called. Right now, it, it's part of basically part of Calgary McKay Nose Hill and Calgary Northern Hills, um, mostly Calgary McKay Nose Hill. Um, we have two candidates who've stepped up to run, who've announced that they'd like to run for the UCP nomination, Daniel Kostek and Josephine Pawn. Uh, in Calgary Southeast, which is currently represented by Alberta Party MLA Rick Fraser, who uh, was, is a former UCP MLA, uh, two candidates have, have announced that they plan, they're planning on running for the UCP nomination, Cameron Davies and Matthew Jones. Cameron Davies, who I believe was, he's, he's been around like in Wild Rose Party and uh ucp circles i think he was the wild rose party campaign co-chair or co-campaign manager in the last provincial election yeah he's he's been around yeah he was campaign manager for jeff calloway's anti-brian gene leadership campaign for the ucp leadership i think uh so he's been around he's kind of a known quantity in ucp circles uh and in uh spruce grove stony plain which is a new which is a newly redrawn riding that will encompass the the uh Let's see if I get this right. The city of Spruce Grove and the town of Stony Plain? Or is it the city of Stony Plain and the town of Spruce Grove? I always get the two mixed up. One of them's a city, one of them's a town. Anyway, there's a new district. Uh, Matthew Clark and Brendan Green, uh, I believe, have announced that they're running. Uh, and there could be a third candidate, I hear, running for the UCP nomination in that district. So uh, s- nomination races are uh, are heating up. Um, and in Edmonton White Mud, the first UCP candidate, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I apologize, uh, Tunde Abbasan. I believe that's it. I apologize, Mr. Abbasan. I would love to learn how to say it properly, but he has declared. So in that's the only one in Edmonton proper, I believe. Uh, the other interesting thing, and maybe you're going to get to this, but I'm stealing your thunder. There's two members of the caucus who have registered with Elections Alberta for their nominations. And one is Drew Barnes in Medicine Hat, who I don't really expect to face any serious threat. The other one, we've mentioned this before, is Leela um, in... What's the writing called now? I think, I think the new writing is Chestermere Strathmore, and right. the current writing is Chestermere Rocky View. Right, and the Strathmore part is interesting yes. because there's another member of the legislature who represents Strathmore currently, but he does not sit in the UCP caucus anymore. So if Leal is nominated there, uh, Mr. Fildebrandt is going to have to find somewhere else to run, assuming he comes back to the fold. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about that uh, as, uh, as the nomination races heat up and as... Uh, as Mr. Fildebrandt makes uh, makes public or clear what his intentions are going ahead to the next election. Okay, uh, for our next segment, we're going to talk about party fundraising. And specifically, Dave is going to explain to me and to our audience why the 2017 Q4 financial report is useless. So, Dave, some information came out. Both of the major parties, at least, seem to be bragging about their results. And it seems to me that they both did really well. But I don't understand what they raised, and it's really not clear. So, Dave, explain to me 
what we're comparing here. So why are the numbers different? Why is each party claiming that the numbers aren't really comparable, that it's not apples to apples? So what is the NDP reporting and how is it different than the UCP? Okay, so the NDP, days before the fourth quarter report was released, put out uh, some some publicity online on social media and emailed to their, mem- their, their, their membership list that the party had raised more than a million dollars in the fourth quarter of 2017. This is probably true. I, there's no, re- no real reason to doubt it if they're claiming it. But when you look at the fourth quarter, when the fourth quarter financial report came out, it wasn't reported that the NDP had right. raised a million dollars. It was Where's reported that they'd raised just over $335,000 in the fourth quarter. So right. so what are they, are they om- omitting like the local riding fundraising results or where's the number coming from? Well, this has to do with how Elections Alberta reports and accounts for the for the money that that's raised by political parties when there's a by-election held during uh, during one of the quarters. So on November 20th, a by-election was called in the Calgary Lougheed riding. When the by-election was called, a lot of the money, it, it, what, what, what happened when the by-election was called is that a significant amount of the money, what I, what I estimate to probably be about well, if the NDP raised more than a million, between six hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars, got caught in the, it's being reported separately in a by-election report, and I think this has to do with how the NDP raises money. So the NDP, they don't, they don't, they don't raise money through their constituencies. They raise money separately through their, through their central party. Now, from what I understand, all the money collected, all the political donations collected, or a huge chunk of the political donations collected by the NDP. Uh, related to the Calgary Lougheed by-election and centrally through the party will not will not will not show up during the fourth quarter report of 2017, but will show up in a by-election report, official report that will be released by Elections Alberta in the new year. One of the things that confuses me about that is there's a new spending limit that applied. I think it was what fifty thousand or something. It's the same for every riding, with a couple exceptions. And the Kenny campaign. Um, one of the things that they, I guess, bragged about or reported back was that they f- were fully funded after 48 hours. So they made an ask. They received like a little bit more, 60000 or something. And they took some heat on Twitter because people said, well, you've raised more than you can spend anyway. Um, don't you understand how it works? So are you telling me that the NDP raised like $600,000 towards a $50,000 spending limit? Like, Well, well the... the 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 election finance rules don't limit how much you can fundraise. It limits how much you can spend. Right. So the NDP, and I'm sure the I'm sure actually this is the case with the UCP as well. I'm sure they raised a lot more than the limit. I'm yeah. sure Jason Kenney raised. I mean, because so, I'd I'd be surprised if the UCP only raised three hundred thousand dollars in the fourth quarter. So you're telling me during the writ in a local riding, a donation to the NDP from some other corner of the province might be getting reported as a by-election fundraising achievement that's that's my understanding now if, if there's anybody out there who wants to cor- wants to correct me and and you know go deep into the weeds uh please do but this is this is kind of this is kind of my understanding of of how the by-election is impacting the, the fourth quarter report so what what, the, what this really says is that this is probably the way the way elections alberta does it and by splitting the, the, the amount of the fundraising numbers from the 20 2017 fourth quarter report and the official by-election period report it's probably good for like accounting principles. It makes no but, sense. But it, but it makes it makes the fourth quarter report totally useless for political observers yeah. like us. Well, it makes no sense because you've got 87 ridings. Now, this one featured a leader, well, a couple leaders, three leaders. But, you know, why would... So what happens if there was two by-elections at the same time? 
it'd be even more warped and weird. I'd, I'd, I'd have to have to wade deeper into the weeds. But but okay. Now now the other thing. So so that so we we so we we know that the full picture of what the NDP raised and probably what the UCP raised in the fourth quarter is not included in the fourth quarter report that you can find on the Elections Alberta website, and we'll find out later in a few months how much they actually raised, because that'll be included in an official by-election report that's released in 2018. But the Alberta Party, which didn't participate and didn't run a candidate in the Calgary-Lawheed by-election, doesn't fall under the same rules. So the Alberta Party, the fourth quarter report shows that they raised... Ninety-one thousand. I think it was ninety-one thousand dollars in the fourth quarter of twenty seventeen, and that's actually what they raised. So they, so the fourth quarter report is showing only partially what the NDP raised, and likely partially what the UCP raised in the fourth quarter, but is showing all of what the Alberta Party raised in the fourth quarter. So that's <laughs> confusing, and 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 that makes the fourth quarter report. Um, for our purposes, fairly useless until the by-election report is released okay. in uh, in 2018. Can I make a motion? I move. You have the floor. I move that elections Alberta stop being so confusing. Seconded. Adam. Alberta's fake trade war with Saskatchewan ended last week as Premier Brad Wall, I think as as uh, I think as as um, as Edmonton Journal columnist Graham Thompson said, raised the white flag while declaring victory. <laughs> yeah, I think what happened is they read Tristan Hopper's piece about what would happen in a real war, and they realized that they better surrender while they can because Alberta could probably take them. Although I do remain concerned about all these sleeper agents among us. Every time the riders are in town. They seem to come out of the woodwork. Have, have, have you ever, have you ever seen Canadian bacon? Do you remember? Do you remember Alan Alda was the U.S. president? He he said, you know, sur- surrender we st- surrender pronto or we'll level Toronto. We yeah. have to figure out an equivalent for uh, 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 surrender soon or we'll level Saskatoon. <laughs> that's really good. You know, my middle name is Alan because of Alan Alda. Oh, that's great! Wow, uh, uh, I would have voted for Arnie Vinnick, by the way. Me too. You would have. Oh, he was a much more convincing character than uh, than Santos. Very interesting. You know, Santos was based on Obama after the 04 Democratic National Convention speech. I did not know that, but I would have voted for Obama. Today, as we're recording, is the day of the Saskatchewan Party leadership result. Do you have any predictions, Dave? Uh, someone will win, and someone will become premier. You know, That's- I have to admit, I... I don't know if I can name a candidate and they're next door. I mean, I know, I know a little bit about the BC leadership race. Um, Ontario provincial politics is very interesting and I follow it. I really don't know a whole lot about Saskatchewan provincial politics. Is that, is that my bad or is that something you agree with? Uh, I tend to agree. I, I looked on the, I had to go to the Wikipedia page for the Saskatchewan party's 2018 election, leadership election and, uh, and actually look to do a little bit of background search on the, uh, on the candidates because uh, I really didn't know who any of them were. I'd kind of heard some of the names pop up over the years, and because uh, the Saskatchewan party is a frequent visitor to Calgary boardroom, Calgary corporate boardrooms to collect their giant checks. Yeah, well, um, there was two potential candidates. One of them actually was in the race for a little while from the federal party, Jeremy Harrison and Rob Clark, so I knew those names, but okay. beyond that, I really didn't know a whole lot, and neither of them are on the ballot today. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I've heard heard some commentary. I think Gary Mason um, from the Globe Mail had an interesting column this week about uh, the challenge for the Saskatchewan party is going to be rebranding uh, after Bradwall leaves, and I think he called it Brandwall, yeah. was that, you know, Brad, Bradwall really has been the Saskatchewan party, and, and, uh, and the success of that party has really been 
based in his extreme popularity in the province. So it'll be very interesting to see how uh, how they transition to a new leader. And yeah, it's uh, a tough act to follow. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like he's the he's the Danny Williams of Saskatchewan, but much more reasonable and measured. I think Danny Williams had better hair. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Wall. Well, good luck to the Saskatchewan party. And when is the election in Saskatchewan? I think it's a few years from now. And and also the NDP in Saskatchewan, who are the official opposition, they're having a leadership race right now too. So there'll be two new leaders this year, of the uh, of the, the governing party and the official opposition in Saskatchewan. So. I think uh, as homework, Ryan and I are going to learn a lot more about Saskatchewan, maybe talk to some of those conservative Saskatchewan sleeper agents who are living in Alberta. They live among us. They live among us. And uh, and, and we will report back uh, and uh, and have some thoughts on how the relationship between Saskatchewan and Alberta might change after, uh, after today's vote. So in our regular Alberta Party leadership segment, which has become a regular segment, um, this week featured, I believe, one or maybe two leadership debates among the candidates. Yeah. Um, Dave, do you have any highlights from that? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the highlights that, I mean, that got, that got the most media attention, and I think deservedly, was the discussion around revenue uh, with candidate, Alberta Party leadership candidate, Kara Levis, talking about the the merits uh, of a uh, of a provincial sales tax or at least a harmonized sales tax I'm not sure spe- what the what the what her specifics were but talking about a sales tax in Alberta which I think Rick Fraser and Steve Mandel the other two candidates um, who also happen to be former conservatives um, uh, disagreed with her on uh, but I do think it's it, it, you know PST is something that comes up a lot in Alberta politics and we're constantly told that it's uh, it's a uh, it's toxic that you can't actually do implement a PST in Alberta that Albertans don't want it uh, but we constantly hear discussion from economists from opposition leaders uh, opposition politicians about how we need to take a look at a provincial sales tax if we want to figure out uh, what Alberta's revenue problem is um, so I thought it was interesting that, that Kara Levis did bring it up I mean definitely differentiated her from uh, from the other two party can or the other two leadership candidates. I mean, I don't know uh, whether um, I, I'm not sure in terms of the dynamics of the leadership race whether whether this will be a good thing or a bad thing for her. Uh, but it, in terms of getting media attention, it definitely definitely differentiated her from the two white guys in the room. Yeah, what's interesting to me about this is how um, it's the type of thing that is put forward by politicians in Alberta with very little to lose. And you look at how even this NDP government won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Rachel Notley, who I would suggest has never met a tax that she doesn't love, uh, won't go near it. In fact, she stomps on it. She, she extinguishes the embers of even thinking about talking about it. And I think there's a reason. Now, maybe it just takes someone to break that wall and to, to break it down, and maybe the voters are just ready to stampede towards a, a PST. But I, I look at the case study of the NDP now. I don't know if they had a policy of bringing one in before they form government, but I sure know that in government they have zero interest in it. Yeah, I don't believe I don't believe I can't recall the NDP having an official policy. At least they didn't in the, on, during the election. They didn't talk about a, a provincial sales tax. Um, but but it does seem like something that that provincial governments kind of, both both the NDP and the provincial former PC governments would kind of they. Every now, every couple of years, they'd put out a trial balloon about it, and what would happen to those balloons? Well, the balloons would pop, but they would never make a. They would always put trial balloons. No one would ever try to. No, no politician would ever try to make a convincing argument in favor of it. And I think that's what's missing is yeah. that there's no one that that we uh, pundits and 
political types and partisans uh, see it as something toxic that politicians don't even try to make an argument for it. And I think that's something that's missing is that is is, is the actual uh, someone who's willing to step up and, and make a con- try to make a convincing argument for it, even if it doesn't succeed, try to make a convincing argument. Because I think it's actually we should, you know, something we should probably have a legitimate discussion about in this province. Well, you've touched on something interesting. Politicians rarely lead with their chin. You know, rarely, rare, very rarely is it the case that a politician will propose something revolutionary. And it's because when they get there, they get to office or they get to the leadership, they realize this isn't theory anymore. They only get one crack at it and they only have so many um, things, so many capital dollars to spend. So what has to happen with an idea like this is there has to be a groundswell. There has to be a role for pundits and advocates and for the economists and all that. And I'm suggesting that all of that has been tried many times with this and people just aren't interested in it. So um, I would welcome a party trying because I think it'd be an interesting um, exercise in democracy. But I think there's a reason why they all back away. There must be some polling somewhere showing it. Yeah, I think in, in terms of the, I mean, politicians, you know, issue by issue, they decide what, what do they want to spend political capital on? What, which battles do they want to, which battles do they want to fight? And, and I think that the perception is, you know, whether it's real or true, um, that this really isn't, this is, this is a huge battle and it would be a huge battle. And it's not something that any of the current political parties are willing to, to stake their, uh, their political future on right now. But if you're small and scrappy and you need to throw a Hail Mary, it exactly. seems like a good type of thing to try to do. Exactly, exactly. So and here I, we are again talking about them. So yeah, and, and, it must and, be working. And, uh, and maybe we'll talk about the Alberta party next week, which and you know, seems you made, likely. You made a point. She's up against a former cabinet minister and a long-term mayor and another former or current MLA, and we're not talking about those guys at all. So in some degree, it's worked. But we'll see what happens when if she wins and runs on that platform. Yeah. The political world in Canada was rocked this week uh, with three high-profile resignations following allegations of sexual misconduct by, by politicians. Uh, Jim Bailey, the leader of the Nova Scotia PC Party, Patrick Brown, the leader of the Ontario PC Party, and Kent Hare, the uh, M- MP for Calgary Centre uh, and form, now former Minister of uh, for Persons with Disabilities and Sports. Um, resigned this week following allegations. I, I think what we're seeing here is a major recalibration of what is deemed acceptable in uh, in Canadian politics. And I think that this is probably just the start. I think we'll probably see in the coming weeks, coming months, the coming years, we'll probably see a lot more allegations, a lot more resignations as we try to figure out uh, in terms of society, in terms of political parties and politicians, um, how what is acceptable and, and, and define clearly what is unacceptable in terms of how politicians uh, conduct themselves, especially dealing with issues of sexual harassment and sexual conduct. It's something that's, that's that I think, uh, I mean, myself and I'm, I'm sure Ryan and I know a lot of pol- political types um, take very seriously. It's something that, that we've kind of all known. I mean, not kind of all known, but we've known has been going on for quite some time and is, is, is quite prevalent in, in a lot of political circles. Um, but what I find what I find really interesting here is that this is really something that really crosses party lines. This isn't one political party, an issue for one political party. Um, we saw this week, you know, PC party and liberal federal liberal party. I'm sure we'll see similar allegations and similar issues come up from uh, from other political parties in, in the next few weeks. I think there's two views of this that are coming together. One is at the most macro view. I really believe this is a moment in our culture. 
um, that historians are going to look back on as a change. I mean, this this issue has exploded um, first in sports and in politics, and now it's coming to. Uh, sorry, this issue has exploded first in sports and in Hollywood. And now it's rolling through politics, which, of course, we are more familiar with in other industries, and I assume it's going to keep going. There's other industries like finance and basically any, any place where there's um, different levels of power. So specific to politics, I, I do think that politics has had a problem for a while. You know, you've got – just think of Ottawa, for example. You've got a bunch of – frankly, the types of people who run for politics tend to be – a bit more egotistical, is that a harsh word? Yeah, so you think of the types of people who run and a higher proportion of them have large egos than the general population. And then you're combining pressure, um, some form of celebrity, even if it's political celebrity, it still is a celebrity. Distance from family, from spouses, but not only that, just from real life. You know, when you're in Ottawa, if you're an MP from the West or from the East Coast, Nothing about your life in Ottawa is normal. It's a lot like a college experience where all of a sudden you're living in a hotel or in an apartment. You don't shovel the sidewalk. You don't take the dog for a walk. You don't take out the garbage. And there's a lot of alcohol. And there's a lot of opportunity for people to lose their values and to get into situations that they don't want. Then you combine that with a power differential that tends to put men, at least historically, in positions of authority. And there tends to be women, although this does happen in other genders as well, who are less powerful and don't really have a way of fighting back. And what upsets me about this is I'm as guilty as everyone else of knowing about this forever. I mean, I may not know examples of specific criminal acts, but you hear things for sure. Everyone in politics has heard stories. And um, it's very upsetting that we've allowed this to go on. And I think, while I want to make sure that um, when it comes to criminal charges, the due process is followed, that is not relevant to the political world. And when you do things that are clearly abusive of authority or exploiting people who are vulnerable, you do not deserve to be in politics. You don't deserve to be in any position of authority at all. And it's been this way forever. And so maybe if there's a silver lining in the distant clouds, maybe it's a restructuring of everything about politics and the power structures and the exploiting nature so that the next generation of interns who comes through the system won't have to whisper to each other to stay away from this guy or don't go out for a drink with that MP or MLA. What's been upsetting for me is realizing that I knew about some of this. And so maybe moving forward, because these survivors have spoken out and been the first to speak out and to push against a system that's really structured against them, maybe there'll be more. And so if we can play a role, you know, I'm, I'm six foot four. I'm a dude. Um, I've never felt unsafe really in any situation in politics, but I've spoken to lots of colleagues who have, and it's like, Oh, Oh my goodness. I mean, I have no idea what that's like to have to avoid going to a reception with a certain politician who might, prey on my vulnerability is just to be I mean I'm just being honest is bizarre but hopefully awareness is the first step and now we can say well what's going on there let's shine some sunlight into these dark corners and if careers are 
altered or ruined in the in collateral damage, I say that's just fine. I mean, we the only way this is going to change is if some people pay a very severe consequence for preying on those who are more vulnerable than them. And shame on them. And I guess shame on the whole system for getting to this point. But um, let's try to make it better. So we're introducing a new segment in this episode. It's called So You Want to Be a Candidate. Ryan, can you tell us uh, tell us more about it? Sure. Uh, one of the things that we both hear from quite often, I think, is people who want to get involved in the process or who would love to be an MLA or an MP or whatever. Um, so we thought maybe we could put together a regular segment which would be focused on the nuts and bolts tangibles of what it's like, um, what will it cost me, how can I win, how can I lose, when does it start, when does it end, whatever other questions people might have. So, um, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before in my past. I have run a couple times for office. I have won a nomination and I've lost a nomination. And so both were really interesting experiences and I take different lessons away from them. But we just want to provide this as a resource to you. And so again, with the other, as with the other things, if there's a question you want us to address or some specific resource we can provide, please do let us know. Um, Dave, do you have any uh, desire to run for office? Is this something you've thought about doing? Uh, I've thought about it, but uh, as of today, uh, I have no intention of running for political office anytime soon. So this is for those who might want to run, who are planning to run, or even who just want to understand what it's like. And Dave and I are going to talk about this with Adam, but you know, other people may come on the show too and provide their perspective on it. So so today is January 27th. We're late January. We are maybe 17 or 18 months away from Election Day provincially. So if you want to be a candidate, what should you be doing today? So my advice to you is, first of all, and you know, this um, applies whatever party you want to run for. Each party is going to have different specifics, but the principles are true. So the number one thing that I would recommend for someone today is show up, meet people. Look up your riding association, contact them. I know most of the parties list a contact name in each riding, uh, especially in smaller centers where the riding boundaries actually make more of a difference. So um, Spruce Grove, for example. In Edmonton, no one really knows what riding they're in, but in Spruce Grove, you're in Spruce Grove. So, you know, reach out to the people there. In some cases, if there is no CA, and a CA is a constituency association, then you can contact the central party office or even the MLA if there is one or a neighboring MLA. And I would just give them a call. These people love new people. If there's one thing that the political parties thrive on, it's new blood. It's people who actually care and show up. So I would go uh, ask them if they're doing a board meeting or a social night or some sort of membership drive. Um, You know, these people... People get into politics because they like being around other people who love politics. And some of the most valuable things I've gotten out of it is lifelong friendships with people who you just talk about the issues. And as we move through this segment in the future, we're going to do more specific features on things like what is the candidate's role? What should they do about social media and crafting their image? But, you know, for today, I would just take the first step, which is picking up the phone sending an email, calling someone who is involved, and just ask them, what can you do? Another advice point that I would give is if you think you want to run for politics, call the local MLA or the closest one to you for whichever party you support and ask them when they're going out door knocking again. And go with them. Take the afternoon 
hopefully it's on a Saturday or something, but you know, whatever you got to do, just spend two hours and I'll tell you, you'll either love it or you'll decide this isn't for you, but either way, it's a great way to just experience life in politics. Yeah. That's a really great, really great litmus test. If you, uh, if you feel uncomfortable knocking on someone's door and talking to someone out of the blue, then maybe politics, electoral politics isn't, isn't the best, uh, the best role for you. Yeah. And you know, I've, there probably aren't many people in Alberta who have knocked on more doors than me, at least in the last couple cycles. And I have to say, even I get nervous sometimes thinking about it. But once you do it, you realize, oh, this is great. You know, the worst thing that can happen is some grumpy person will be grumpy. And then you think, well, that has more to do with them than me anyway. Yeah, I always find the first couple doors, you always get, you know, you have to get get back into it. And, uh, you know, once once you've knocked on two or three doors, then you can pretty much you pretty much get into a role and you get pretty comfortable and, and yeah, I mean the worst, I think the worst, uh, the worst thing that ever happened to me door knocking was someone, someone slammed the door at me in my face because they didn't, they just, I don't even think they were interested in Paul. I don't think they knew about the candidate or knew the election was happening. They just weren't interested in talking to someone at their door. So, you know, it, it, most people are actually fairly polite. We, you know, we are Canadians. Most people are fairly, fairly polite. I mean, depending what, what part of the province you're in and what party you're campaigning for, you might get, someone might spray their garden hose at you or something, but, but that might be the, uh, the extent of the threat. Yeah, I have hilarious stories, some of them which are um, things I can say on this podcast and some of them we probably can't, but <laughs> it really is fun. And the thing that you hear from is what real people, normal people think and what's important to them. And it is very little spin or delusions about what you wish they cared about. You know, when you're interrupting someone's day and they're cooking dinner and the dog is barking and the kids are screaming and they're busy, but you're there to ask them what their priorities are, they're going to be straight with you. They're going to tell you what they actually care about. It's a great exercise. And I applaud politicians of all stripes who continue to do it because there really is nothing that replaces it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's totally the face-to-face contact is still... The most, I think, the most, uh, the most authentic and the most, most important uh, and effective way to, for uh, for candidates and political parties to engage with engage with voters. I talk with a lot of candidates about when when elections come up. We talk, they talk, want to talk about social media and talk about being on Facebook and being on Twitter, and that's all great. And those are all important tools that you know that a lot, a lot of candidates can use effectively. But nothing replaces the door to you know the face to face contact you get with voters to going door to door. Yeah, and, and voters expect it, and also they remember it forever. So. It may be the 48th out of 249 doors that you've gone to that day, but that voter will never forget. And so there's nothing that you can do to replace it. There's no better use of your time for the most part as a candidate. I'll get to this later, but I really believe candidates only have three jobs, voters, volunteers, and money, and voters being the primary one. So we'll get to all of that. And please do um, send me your questions. Send Dave your questions. We'd love to just you know know how to answer some of the concerns that you might have and feel free to make lots of jokes about my electoral record it's it makes it fun those who can't do blog no podcast we used to say those who can't do teach but now those who can't do i guess podcast ryan ryan is a really good sport so so we're looking forward this is going to be a really fun segment i think over the next uh, the next year or so before uh, before the uh, the provincial election uh yeah so if you do have any have any questions or think you have things you think you want you would like us to talk about send it uh, send them our way so back to our other regular topic, uh, listener questions. Thank you, everyone who's sent in your questions over the past week. Um, we really appreciate it. So, so continue to send in questions after after this podcast, and we'll be happy to talk about them, talk about them on our next next episode. Uh, so, going and in, diving into the mailbag, listener questions from 
Egg Pit on Twitter asks some federal topics. That's a that's a good question. We do tend to be fairly provincial politic, uh, provincial politics heavy on this podcast. Um, but I mean, there are there is stuff going on federally. Um, some of the federal federal nomination races in Alberta are starting to heat up. Um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be in Edmonton this week, holding a town hall meeting at McEwen University. Um, so if the prime minister, ha- if anything happens at that town hall or the prime minister has anything interesting to say, I'm sure we'll talk about it on the, on the next podcast, but point taken, we, uh, we should figure out, uh, some more federal topics to talk about. Or if he wears interesting socks, we could talk about those too. That tends to be one of his things. I, in the, uh, yes, the, uh, was it, it was in Davos. Was it the, the Chewbacca socks? Yeah. That's sock diplomacy. I think Which, I've, re- I've read like 50 articles on Justin Trudeau's sock diplomacy. And it's a strategy that's specifically designed to annoy the likes of me and to endear him to a certain voter block. And, and, and we will see in 2019, whether that is an effective strategy. Our second question for today is from Twitter as well. Handmaids Alberta. Uh, which I think is a spoof account, but we're still going to deal with their question. Thoughts on the pro-life intern email blast and Contgate. Now, I assume that's a reference to Sonia. So let me just say, in an environment where young women are so often preyed on and exploited, um, I want to applaud Sonia. She's 22 or 23, and she was on the negotiating committee for the merger of two parties. She was the PCAA president before that. She has done more in those 23 years than I certainly did in my first 23 years in politics. And so um, I don't agree necessarily with the comments she made about focusing on the Liberal Party, um, specifically because that was the day after two PC leaders resigned. But... We all say things on Twitter that aren't totally accurate. And overall, I think Sonia is a great example of a young person who's punching above her weight. She happens to be female. She happens to be a person of color. Also, she's just doing really good work. And so I'm going to defend her from the anonymous Twitter account out there and say um, Sonia Kant has at least put her name forward. Now I, I might I might be in, might be incorrect, but I think what the what the what at Handmaids Alberta is referring to is the tweet that Sonia Kant, who's the she's the communications chair for the United Conservative Party, yeah, uh, she sent out a tweet criticizing the Women's March. I think that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, so so she received she sent a tweet saying you know unpopular opinion. Uh, st- started with un- the the words unpopular opinion and then yeah. um, and then criticized the the women's march or the purpose of the women's march and she received a lot of blowback on Twitter and on on social media and and then in the mainstream media. Well, over and that. everyone's favorite cabinet minister, the former minister of anti bullying, attacked her harshly. Which, first of all, Sandra Jansen Sandra Jansen took a run at Sonia over that, and I don't understand how that is appropriate. A cabinet minister attacking a 23-year-old is fundamentally unfair. If that's how Sandra Jansen wants to operate her politics, okay. But she also claims to be trying to do politics differently. And every other statement she makes is about how mean Jason Kenney is. Show me an example of Jason Kenney going after a 23-year-old. I assure you, he's never done it. Certainly not with the um, severity and harshness that Sandra... And this isn't the first time Miss Jansen has done it. So it gets my back up. I'm, I'm the partisan of our group here, and I'll stand with Sonia. 
you know, I, I may or may not agree on the women's um, protest. What do they call that day? The, the women's march. On the women's march specifically, but it's pretty ironic to tell Sonia that she's not allowed to have an opinion on it. I think what what's interesting, and I mean, I assume, you know, I mean, Sonia Kant, Miss Kant, assume, you know, she she appears to be a smart person. She's she's in a uh, you know position of, of influence and and moving up in in the UCP. Um, I mean, I I expect that this tweet was the tweet she sent out was supposed to be intentionally was intentionally provocative, um, and then there was blowback. And I I mean, I, I assume that 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 she expect she expected that to a certain degree. Um, I mean, I do think on the on the Sandra Jansen comment. I mean, I've been pretty clear on my blog that I think that Sandra Jansen should probably spend less time arguing with conservative partisans on Twitter and more time focusing on on her party's chances and and her role as a, as an NDP cabinet minister in Calgary. Um, and punch, punch level or punch up. Don't punch down. So on the second, on the first half of the email, the thoughts on the pro life intern email. Now this has to do with. So the UCP caucus is was advertising for a an intern a summer basically a summer student internship for conservative part conserv- young conservatives to come work at the at the UCP caucus and I think the federal conservatives do something similar every year they invite conservative young conservatives to work come and, work in the summer and isn't this a good thing by the way oh no no I, I, I do think it's a good thing I mean having more people engaged and, and more young people engaged in politics and having the opportunity to work at the legislature is great um, but the 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 issue was when a pro-life group um so pro-life anti-abortion depending on what what side of the issue you're on but abortion is what we're talking about they sent an email a separate email out so this email didn't come from the ucp but it came from this group that's supporting the ucp um saying that this is an opportunity for pro-life young conservatives to work for the ucp and 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 push for um push for pro-life policies in the ucp now that's that thing that that's where the issue is. Now there was some confusion around where that email came from when it was originally posted on social media. I think it was framed as being from the UCP, uh, but it was from a group that supports the UCP, not actually from the UCP. And it was pretty clearly not from the party because they got the party name wrong. And so, you know, this speaks to a larger issue. That first of all, as a big tent party, are we saying that we shouldn't allow groups like this to get involved? Of course, that's the point. We want groups to get involved. Second of all, no political party can control what a third-party group does. And that's a game that I don't think the NDP wants to play either. I'm sure there's supportive organizations out there who have sent things out that they might not have any editorial say over. So very clearly, this was not sent by the UCP because the UCP knows how to spell the party name, right? And so I think that getting young people involved is a good thing. And if groups like that are going to send it out to their networks to get people involved, great. I mean, I, the demonization of this particular group, I guess, is a topic for a different episode. But I think that this was a controversy only on Twitter. So on to our third question. Uh, this is a long one. This is from at Yeg Chris. So Chris exclamation mark question mark on Twitter. Uh, I'd hate to take time away from the any Alberta party talk. <laughs> Zing. Zing. Uh, but if I set out the over-under at 0.5 for liberal seats in the next election, what would you take? What, if anything, needs to happen in Alberta to make them relevant again, to make the Liberal Party relevant again? Um, I, the, the Liberal Party has, and I, I was involved with the Liberal Party uh, pretty, pretty uh, intensely from about 1999 to 
2008. Um, so it's been about 10 years since I've, I've been involved with the Liberal Party. And at that point, they had a they had losses and they had gains and they had losses. And, and so I was able to see kind of up front some of the uh, the real challenges facing the provincial Liberal Party, both internally and externally in terms, terms of their brand. Um, and it really did over the course of that, that those 11 years, it really did ebb and flow. Um, but it didn't flow enough if you know what I mean. they weren't they weren't they weren't hugely successful more uh, ebbing less flowing yes more ebbing less flowing um i so you know there's huge challenges facing the the liberal party in alberta i think my i mean my advice to and i think i wrote this in my on my blog uh last year you know my advice to liberal leader david Kahn is who, who currently doesn't have a, does not have a seat in the legislature is um pick a riding and campaign the heck out of it. Pick a riding, and he's, he's from Calgary. Pick a riding in Calgary that you think you can win, or you think you have an opportunity to win, and spend ninety percent of your political time in that riding, doing a lot of what we talked about uh, in our our nomination segment, uh, door knocking and meeting people and and building an organization. Because right now things don't look great for the Liberal Party of the Alberta Liberal Party. Um, I mean elections campaigns matter and things change uh but i think for the liberals uh, holding on to you know one or two seats in the next election is going to be critical for their for their survival especially if uh current uh, mla david swan does not seek re-election in 2019 yeah i agree and i think my other observation which has been made before is that there really isn't a lot of difference between the alberta party and the liberal party of alberta beyond branding if you were to white label the platforms and the policy documents, it'd be, it honestly would be hard to point out what exactly is different. And so branding of itself is important in politics. So I'm not minimizing that, but I really think it's in their best interest to get back together or to come together or something. Cause there just isn't enough votes there to support two parties with basically identical platforms competing for the same oxygen. Now I don't think they're in the business of taking my advice, but the question was, what if anything needs to happen in Alberta to make them relevant again? And I, I think what needs to happen is the Alberta party needs to go away. And I don't think the Alberta party is going away. So I really think the liberal party is facing an existential moment. You know, Kent Hare, we've talked about him this episode and David Swan were kind of the stalwarts. And if they're both gone, Kent Hare is now in federal politics. David Swan's moving on. I don't understand where they think they're going to win the next seat because the Alberta party right now gets so much oxygen. We never talk about the liberal party. We talk about the Alberta party. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, the, there's the Alberta party liberal party challenge, but I think the bit, I mean, I really think the biggest electoral challenge for, for the liberals uh, is the NDP. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I would argue that, that that huge chunk of 30% of the vote that the liberals used to be able to count on, Going back to the 2000s and the 1990s, when the Liberals were the official opposition, I, I'm 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 fairly confident. I'd be confident to argue that 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 vote voting block has moved to the moved to the provincial NDP. Um, why would you vote for the provincial Liberals when Rachel Notley basically stands for 80 80 to 85 percent of what you'd like to see in government? I think typically elections in Alberta are about the incumbent government leader, but I think this one is not. I think this next one will be about Jason Kenney and the Conservative Party. And that changes it a bit. So if there's a voter segment, call it 40%, that just simply will not vote for Jason Kenney and the UCP, the other parties are really going to have to chop that up in the right way to have a chance to win the seats, you know, the way our first-past-the-post system works. And so I think they're competing for a smaller and smaller segment of the vote. 
and it's not heading in a way that's good for them. I mean, no disservice to David Kahn, good on him for running and putting his name forward, but at the debate, I'd love to know what he and the future Alberta Party lo- Alberta Party leader will disagree on or what their pitch to the voters will be. Vote for me because. Well, it's hard to make that case why both of them exist. We've said it before. The NDP actually are an ideological party. To their credit, they actually do believe things. They, they have things that they believe. These centrist parties tend to, they see it as a feature, not a bug, but they tend to just take the best ideas from whichever source. But that doesn't motivate voters. And, or at least it hasn't to date. So uh, we'll see. Well, Dave, once again, that's it for this week. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. So we'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put this episode together. Uh, we hope that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you submit a review. That really helps. Ideally, something nice with five stars, but we'll leave that part up to you. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback or answer any questions you have. You can get us on Twitter at at Dave Berta uh, or at Dave Cornway or at Ryan Hassman uh, and on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us podcast at daveberta.ca. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time. <laughs>